he's getting that from doing the the challenges. It's like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Well, I guess the question though is, is he actually addressing any of the issues, or is he just sort of, you know, replacing it with a different addiction? Mm. His addiction is just the serotonin high that you get off doing intense exercise. Yeah. Because it, it's a really interesting idea that I've sort of been thinking about a lot the past couple of years is, you know, like finding a balance and overcorrection. And sort of like, so he's probably going, oh, right, I want to cut down on the drinking, start doing all this running and all this exercise. And then maybe got as addicted to all of that running and exercise as he did to the alcohol. Yeah. Where it might actually be de- detrimental to him. Whereas yeah. You should be looking to have a bit of balance, maybe, rather than going so, like, absolutely. Yeah, well, thing. he was, so what impressed me was, like, he was doing this while he was getting fucked up as well. So it was like... Oh, okay. Yeah, so he'd, like, he'd be getting fucked up and then still, like, he'd, like, sleep in his van and then do, like, a, an ultra marathon or something the next day. Um, while And then, like, be straight back on it as soon as he's finished. But when, once he stopped getting fucked up, then it just he became more focused on doing different challenges like that. Mm-hmm. I think he said he'd met a lot of people in that um, field of extreme sports where it seems like a lot of people have had issues in the past and that that's how they get the fix. Um, well, what do you find with your, with your climbing? What do you find that gives you? Is it... Well, <clears throat> I mean, definitely helps in terms of um, self-esteem because of that reason I was just saying of like the, um, you know, you, you might have a problem that you, you're trying to do, and for like two two sessions you'll be like, fuck, I can't can't get this. I'm never going to be able to do this, and then <clears throat> it just goes and you've done it, and after the end of that problem, you've done something that you've set your mind to that you didn't know whether you could achieve or not and then you actually achieved it so it gets it's sort of like um a ritual that shows you that you can achieve things that you set your mind to even if you're not sure so it really helps in that regard um helps in terms of self-esteem as well you know you're consistently getting better at something and it's something that you can infinitely improve at you can always be better um but it's also it's a really nice um, sort of community mm-hmm. to it as well. Like, you know, you'll be uh, be sat there taking a break and you might see somebody who they've clearly only just recently started um, really struggling on something. And in your mind, you're going, go on, son, fucking get yeah. And you know that, like, there's been plenty of times where I've been climbing. Hey, I'm in. <laughs> sorry my nan's here one second Eddie no yeah sorry bit of a miscommunication on who was dog sitting today <laughs> turned up expecting to do a shift no uh, it was my shift right. your, uh, nan, your nan's doing the dog dog sitting yeah they come round when either I'm at work and my dad's at work um, and my nan and granddad just come round and sit with her take her for a little walk Right. What were we uh, talking about? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was rock, why you like rock climbing before you... Oh, yeah. Uh, the times that I've sort of 
been struggling and a stranger below will just go, go on, lad, you've got that. And that yeah. gives you the motivation to just make the move and, and stick it. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot of things. Um, I mean, just having an exercise that you can do, that mm -hmm. you can be passionate about, it's amazing. You know, it's a bit, especially today, people will say, like, if you are feeling depressed or anxious or whatever, they sort of get defensive if you go, oh, just get outside, do some exercise. And they're like, oh, it's not that easy. Yeah. And obviously that's not the, it's not a cure. Yeah. It helps. It really does help. Um, just doing sort of regular exercise because it's like all of the energy when you just sat there doing nothing, all of your energy that you're generating just goes straight to your mind. And if you yeah. put that energy into your body instead, you know, you don't have as much time to literally spend so much time thinking about yourself and obsessing over all the neurotic shit that you believe or that you think. Um, yeah, it's some fucking possessive bullshit that you're thinking about. A lot yeah. of the times when I, when I think, say, if I've got anxious or if I needed to write something down, I'm just like, oh, I need to clear my head. I just think, like, well, what was I worried about last month? Oh, what was I worried about last year? Is that the same as what I'm worried about now? Or has that gone away and I'm just replacing it with something new? It's like, is it, I'm going to be fine. In the long term, it's like, you're going to be fine, most likely. Obviously, if someone's got a fucking gun to your head, then it's, it's yeah, there's, there's a reason to be panicking. But most of the time, it's like, you just have to spend that time just clearly processing what you're thinking about. Well, it's like um, the, the ego in your mind it has a purpose because when we're out like in uh when we're basically monkeys you know that's your threat detection system and so that's going right that might not be a leaf it might be a snake and so that was sort of like anxiety that really helped us but when you live in this modern world where we don't really have much in the way of like physical danger towards us other than like you know getting in the car crossing the road that sort of stuff. Again, it's that sort of like your ego then has to generate threats that aren't even really there. Yeah. It's so some inside your mind. It goes, oh, what if that person thinks that you're a dick or something? And then it'll just run that over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and it's doing its job. You know, it's supposed to watch out for you and keep you safe. But a lot of times what it thinks it's keeping you safe from doesn't exist. You know, that, that's like what anxiety is, is like you, you're listening to the voice that's telling you there's danger everywhere. Yeah. One sec, mate. I really need to pee. <laughs> no problem. There's going to be a lot of editing to this. <laughs> I just have like a, a five minute break in the middle. Yeah, no, normally I just like just put it on and just just leave it. Like I just go, I can't because it's just... Too much hassle to mess around with editing at all. It's just like record it, stick it on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, the, so the the guy Jacob, whose podcast I was on, he's he's like because he takes everything dead serious. He was like, no, he's got to edit it. He's got to make sure everything's bang on. Make sure the audio's right. I was like, fucking hell. I I, I do get it. I understand, but ugh, I can't be asked putting so much effort into it. Yeah. No, I mean different different people aren't they? Like. Uh, lad I was living with the past year like really 
into like the intricate detail, perfecting everything. Um, he was like doing a bit of recording from out. The amount of hours that I heard him listening to one track over and over and over and over and sort of like slightly adjusting one EQ on one track in it and then listening to the whole thing. Oh, no, no, it's not, it's not any good. Let's start again. I'll change the, the reverb on this or whatever, you know, like months on one track. Um, but I'm much more sort of, uh, I've done enough. Yeah. I can get a bit like that with music with now i've got on to logic it's i can it's I, I look at it and go like oh okay that might sound a little out and i think christina can get annoyed sometimes because it's just whew, playing the same thing over and over but it's just making sure say if i've, if I've edited something and it's gonna it just flows incorrect in it flows into the next part correctly that's my main point um but you can spend hours if you got tried to perfection it's like nope that's not right and you just have to edit everything in so much detail um when it comes to like making stuff on logic i'm so so self-critical always i, I love it when i'm in the process of making it but then say mm. about two weeks and go back and listen to it i'm just like oh that sounds like shit it doesn't sound yeah. like it's been properly made and i don't know what it is like what does a properly made song sound like <laughs> but, just something about the quality of the mix maybe just doesn't doesn't feel like it sounds professional over and that's why I never well could be a bit of laziness as well but I never end up actually finishing anything on logic really I'll just yeah. make little ideas and then never really uh go the whole way through it so maybe I need a bit of that perfectionism mindset you know to sit there and really go right what's that tiny little difference that I need to make to get this get this sorted how long have you been using Logic for? Um, like five or six years, but because it's all sort of self-taught, I sort of go through phases of like doing quite a bit and then not doing any for like a month or two. So I've not not really messed around on it for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. Maybe I'd say probably like two full years worth of experience on there. Um, I can do something. Yeah. Is it? Are you getting? Are you hearing like a ping there? Ping. Like a, yeah, I'm trying to fucking turn it off. Uh, got my mum texting me. One sec. This <laughs> disaster. This so far. <laughs> so many distractions. You know, I need a poo break as well soon. <laughs> it's really not going well. Uh, how the fuck do I turn off? Ah, there we go. Focus. Do not disturb there we go um yeah so because you didn't initially study music no i did a bachelor's in mechanical engineering to begin with um but i, I say that but i barely did it you know i had like 35 percent attendance by the end of the degree um i got a 2-1 but yeah, I didn't really invest any time into it. So by the end, so I uh, don't know if it's because I really didn't like the way they did the course or the way they did the teaching. Mm -hmm. or I was just a bit lazy and I was also dealing with all my own shit as well at the time. Um, but not really dealing with it, just sort of covering it up by, you know, smoking loads of weed and, you know, not really actually addressing my problems. Um, 
And so I sort of just drifted through my first experience of uni. Okay. So what were the problems that were distracting? Would you say distracting you? Um, so I had things from, uh, from my childhood that I think I made this sort of weird self-sacrificial conscious decision when I was like 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard my got an older sister and she was going through a rough time of it in puberty um, shouting matches like every night and so I sort of one night I remember lying there in bed going oh, right I'm just not going to be a bother for my mum and dad I'm just going to keep my shit to myself you know mm-hmm. and so from that point on I just sort of detached myself a little bit um, and yeah never wanted to bother anybody with any of my problems I can always deal with it you know oh, what's my problems compared to somebody else's problems? And then as you do that over a long span of time, then you become incredibly hard on yourself as well. Um, Then sort of couple that with, uh, I didn't feel like a part of my family after a long time. I felt alone with the people who I felt like I should have felt closest to. Um. Then something happened when I was like 18. Not yet ready to properly speak about that, but yeah, that sort of then sent me crashing into being really quite depressed. Um, and then just sort of, like I said, drifted completely. There's a French word, word called ennui, and it means a sense of like listlessness. So you're just adrift in life you know like every day was the same i had no no sort of motivation to do anything i had no connection to my past i had no idea of what i wanted to do for my future and apart from like moments and like days i really didn't have a meaningful life in any way um so i think i didn't connect to to my course at all because you know i was barely there even, yeah. when, even when I was in a lecture, I wasn't really there. <laughs> Physically, but just mentally, yeah. it was just nothing. Just splurge. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I think like we sort of, a lot a lot of people, as you come into full consciousness, as you become an adult, yeah. it's, it's difficult having a mind, you know, and a lot of people get lost. And I like to think it's sort of like, it's the wild west inside your head mm-hmm. big fucked up place and a lot of people don't you don't have all the tools you need to survive so you don't have any sort of like in the analogy of the wild west it'd be you're like a cowboy without a horse and you're just sort of walking around in the desert you've got no provisions you've got no way of getting anywhere uh, you know you're really just lost in your mind and a lot of people i think that's what happens you become an adult and you get stuck in the you forget how to actually get out and really live in the world um and so i did like a couple of years um sort of trying to find my own way mm-hmm. with some success but you know after a certain amount of time it was like right i can't do this by myself i need need some external help um mm-hmm. Because it'd be like I'd make I'd make progress and for like three months it'd be like ah 
I fucking got it. Yeah. You know, I'm happy again and uh, I know what I want to do or whatever. And then some small thing would happen. You'd crash straight back to where you were. Um, so I went to like counselling last, last February, I think. Um, and that really sort of, I'd like to think anyway, at this point in time, I am actually more now capable of doing things myself in terms of recovering from, you know, a shit day or a negative emotion or feeling or actually dealing with negative emotions rather than just shoving them, shoving yeah. them somewhere. Um, so when you when they had this external help through counselling, mm-hmm. uh, how long does the, the, the counselling go on for? Is it a certain time period? Well, so this... Uh, this woman that I went to, she's not, it's not like CBT or anything, you know, okay. cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, yeah. Cause uh, I guess you probably shouldn't tire it with a brush, but you know, like any person that I know who's tried CBT, it's really mm-hmm. not worked for them because it's so impersonal. Um, it's not tailored to your specific thing. And a lot of the times, especially when you go through like an NHS CBT, mm-hmm. It's like they're basically going off a checklist. Okay. For you. And so it really just doesn't feel like they they give a shit about helping you. Yeah. At least this is what I've heard from say like a family member and then some friends that have tried it. Um so this lady I was put onto her by my flatmate from last year. Um and she'd done like ten years in a Buddhist monastery in Nepal. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like it's coming at the problem but from like a spiritual mm-hmm. uh, side of side of things um and a lot of it is more just conversational based and she'll just listen and but at the same time we'll point out when you're like no you're i think you're seeing things wrong there or whatever and like what if it's this way but a lot of it is just a conversation um one sec and so it feels a lot more. Um, see you later, Nan. <laughs> um, feels a lot more sort of directly personal. Yeah. You know, the. I think because of the sort of path that she's taken, incredibly empathetic. You know, like the first session that we had, telling her things that I hadn't told anybody in my life before, and she sat there like crying. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not out of, like, pity or anything, but just sort of, like, shit, I'm so sorry that you had to go through all that by yourself and that you've had... And that, when you're seeing that sort of reaction from um, from another person who's actually listening to you makes a big difference, whereas, you know, you might go to a, a CBT therapist. Um, they check you through your list. Yeah they're sort of robot like and it's all clinical and it's all sterile and it just doesn't feel like there's any connection between you and the person who's supposed to be administering aid to you um and so you know it was only like seven or eight sessions i think and then i went down to one every couple of months and so now it's just a sort of check-in um i think i was talking to you yesterday and 
it's also nice to have somebody who you can sort of converse with about say like spirituality or whatever and the mind you know a lot of people don't have time to think about that sort of thing um and then that's the danger is if, if you do think about it yourself you end up going down rabbit holes where you're you're thinking the same thing for like three four months you know so it's nice to sometimes just be like oh and this is what i'm thinking right now and she goes yeah yeah maybe <laughs> yeah just that even that just that unsure nature that uncertainty and it it's not like she can't like comes out and will say no you're definitely wrong here it's just what if maybe it's not that way mm-hmm. um you know so it's, it's nice to have that um but you know she then teaches a little bit about meditation just setting boundaries for yourself and she sort of gave me the a bit of language that helps me understand what's going on so like the self-critic part of your mind you know um it's part of the ego and it's the bit that just shits on you Mm -hmm. and again it's sort of it thinks it's doing the right thing but your self-critic shouldn't be harsh. You can still self-criticize yourself, but do it as if you're your own parent. So do it like, oh, maybe you shouldn't be going out drinking so much. Maybe you've got more to offer the world. Not like, oh, you're a dickhead. Why are you drinking so much? Like, you're just a piece of shit. Like, yeah. You know, if you do that, you're never going to get better. Yeah, that's just, uh, it's not even, a, it's not a good critique of yourself. You just make, you're making yourself worse. Because it's you're just going on the worst possible thing. Mm-hmm. You can spend so much time thinking about that without actually speaking to somebody. And I think that the benefit of going through um, counselling like you have is that someone's just listening to what you're saying. You've probably had these thoughts for years and years and years that you've just accepted as fact or accepted as your yeah. own personality. And then when you start talking to someone about it, they're like, hang on a minute. <laughs> they, start, they start making you question your uh, perception on things. So I've got my friend Ben, when he was on the podcast, he did CBT and he was going through that. But he's spoken about it saying it was beneficial. Uh, so I think you made a good point where I think that's definitely true where people have it as checklists. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big problem because with something like someone's mental health, it's not as easy as just going, okay, are you feeling happy today? Tick. Oh, just, I, don't, I don't know what the whole the process is like, but it's, it's, it has to be uh, an honest, open relationship. Well, and that's why I said I don't want to tar it all with one brush. Like, it yeah. probably does work for a lot of people. This is the reason why it's really popular. Um, but it's also like, I mentioned that lecture series that meaning crisis thing like he talks about how as a as a conscious being we have two states of being we're either in the being mode or we're in the having mode um and what we what we do a lot of the time is we confuse the state of being we should be in and so we think like with mental health say i have anxiety i have depression Mm -hmm. no it's not right it's I am being depressed right now. I am I am anxious right now. It sounds like it doesn't make much of a difference, but if you think you have anxiety, it's like an illness, it's like a disease, it's like mm-hmm. a parasite that's living in your brain. 
Whereas if you sort of understand it, you know, there's some moments where I, I happen to be anxious, I happen to be depressed, then it's a lot more easy to just be something else, you know, and you give yourself methods of how to become something else, whether with anxiety, it's through deep breathing, um, you know, gratitude is a massive thing with anxiety. You know, you if you feel like the whole world's against you, you go, right, but what am I actually grateful for? You know, I'm alive, I've got all my legs, you know, I've got two parents, I've got a house. Mm-hmm. And suddenly this thing that's like really threatening to you doesn't seem that big. Um same thing with depression, I think that's more of a finding something in your life that gives you meaning. Yeah. If you don't have any meaning, of course you're going to be depressed. Mm-hmm. Nothing means anything to you, you know. Yeah, you've got nothing to wake up in the morning for. You've got nothing to drive you. It's just like yeah, you, you can get like that though because I'm a bit of a. My approach is to go well, you know, we we get up, we do things, and then at the end of the day, we die. Not at the end of the day, the end of the, the end of our lives, like we, we die. You know, psychologically, at the end of the day, we do die. Every every time we go to sleep, it's a it's a little death, a little practice. So, but yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's I don't know. I've, sometimes I can get like, oh fucking hell, what's the point? Like, but I feel like you can take that two ways. You can even say, right, okay, well. I'm on here, and at some point I'm going to die. So I might as well try and do all the things that are calling out for me to do, or I might as well go, well, well, what's the fucking point of doing anything? I'm not going to go anywhere. What's the point? But you can get in such a rut by doing that. Um, do, you, do you ever find that, so before you had your counselling, mm-hmm. you're obviously in a different state of mind than you are now, but you're still the same person. So the the tips and the the guidance that your counsellors give you has helped you get out of this and just being able to talk to somebody. Do you ever find that um, old ego or old um, thought pattern creeping back in? Oh, totally. Like, um, even just the past couple of months, backslid in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's and it took me a couple of weeks before one night I was sat there I think I'd had a bag of crisps, big share bag, bag of chocolate, again, two beers. I'd been playing on the computer for like fucking four hours or something. Yeah. And I sort of had this moment of clarity where I was like, oh, fuck, I'm here again. Yeah. I'm back in the same place, doing the same shit again. And it's not the shit I want to be doing. Um, and so, yeah, it's not like, it's again another problem with the having versus the being. People think that you you're going to cure yourself of mental illness. Mm-hmm. But really, it's not It's not like a disease. It's an ongoing process. And so, of course, you're going to have some peaks and you're going to have some troughs and you're going to find yourself back where you are. But what I think it is, is learning the tools in your mind to sort of be able to right yourself, get yourself back on the back on the track, get yourself back on the horse and what, what you want to be doing. Um, and I found since the counselling, it's a shorter time period of being able to sort of get myself back on track. You know, like prior to the counselling, we've talked before, like I had some psychedelic experiences and always after that, the couple of months after that, it would be like a weight off my shoulders and 
I'd feel like I was really making progress. Um, and maybe I would learn something that would actually stick with me that would be slightly better. Um, but there would always be an inevitable mm-hmm. come back to where I was, meaninglessness, uh, anxiety, depression, the whole thing, back again. Um, you know, and it wasn't really until I started with along with tripping Mm -hmm. reading the right stuff sort of like getting into psychology and philosophy and religion and you know and this past year really reading into like cognitive science and um that then helped me really sort of get an understanding for the mechanics of what's going on say when you do trip and then when you come back down and you know how you can get the without having to rely on a substance although amazing tools still really good for a bunch of different reasons but it's like you don't want to rely on any substance whatever it is what or any addiction whatever it might be yeah do do you ever find yourself say if you've taken psychedelics or something where you okay for a while i'm just not gonna touch anything if you have you had any trip like that that profound oh yeah i'm anytime i've done a psychedelic it's been like the the next day after fuck i never want to do that again mm-hmm. um or i want to leave a long time between doing that again um i think really that's sort of what you should be feeling in a way afterwards um because it's not supposed to just be fun you know it's not a it's not an xbox game (laughs) yeah it's a it's a proper grueling journey inside your mind and i think if you well i don't i was just about to say if you're doing it right but well that's not the right word but if you (laughs) i think using them to the most uh in the most optimal way it should be a bit tough and you should be like learning something about yourself that maybe when you're not in that state of mind, you're not able to actually see. Um, so you, like the, before I went for counseling, the whole thing that made me finally go, right, I need to get some help is I did my first solo acid trip. And there was moments on that where it was like complete and utter ecstasy, like in touch with the whole universe and, like pure happiness and joy and then a good few hours where it was like really peering deep into myself okay and for like seeing things i hadn't thought about for years and realizing truths that maybe i'd been denying for years um and the day after that it was like fuck that was rough amazing rough but i think clearly i'm not going to sort myself out i need to sort of uh, get some help accept that i need some help whereas prior to that i thought oh you know if you do enough trips and you read the right stuff you know you'll be able to sort yourself and you know maybe i would but yeah. maybe i've only been in 30 years time yeah i get what you mean so when you were saying that you had these um things these truths that were calling out to you when you had your solo trip mm-hmm. how were they 
calling out to you and what was it? Um, <clears throat> so, I'm not... When, when I trip, I think a lot of the time I've been with other people, so I haven't much sort of like just laying there, eyes closed, really looked inside. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of the time when I have done past trips, it's been really interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's more focused on the conversation than the ideas that everybody bumps into. Um, and so it was more like feeling stuff that I'd maybe shoved down and never really processed. So um, I'm really feeling it in my body as well. Like I think having been depressed for quite a while, in a lot of ways, you forget what it's like to have a proper emotion because anytime you feel an emotion coming up, you right, fuck off. I don't want to feel you. Or you you rationalize it away. You say something like, no, I shouldn't be feeling sad. You know, I've got I've got so much more than that person down the road or whatever. Um, and so a lot of it was sort of non-verbal. It was just feeling something like deep in me where I was like, fuck that's not being addressed at all i thought i'd move past it i really haven't because anytime you like look at it and this is the problem using language to try and describe it you know i always think when you do trip in a lot of ways you go to a place in your mind that's beyond language or before language you know before we had language you thought in pictures and whatever and now our culture prioritizes language as the ultimate thing and so a lot of our focus in our minds is on the words that we hear the voice that just constantly natters you know that's mm-hmm. what we focus on but um i think when you trip it pushes your past language into the bit where you're really feeling everything and you sort of really in this shit really in the body you know a lot of the time we forget we have a body and we're just all up here um so yeah it was sort of like that and it's hard because um it's like i about halfway through it was getting a bit too much for me so i sort of sat myself down in my bed i turned planet earth on and i was watching <laughs> planet earth with the sound off and just listening to music yeah. A lot of the, the messages that I got would be in the symbol, the symbolic meaning of like seeing a monkey hug a monkey or some shit like that. And it'd be like, oh, that's what that means. And so that ah, that thing from like six years ago, that's why you've not, you know, so it wouldn't exactly make sense to describe it, but it made sense in the moment. Um, okay. It's just the right pictures that attach to the feelings. Um, but yeah, I'm aware anytime you try and describe this shit, you sound like a fucking nut job. But <laughs> I know what you mean, mate. <laughs> you know, it's, it's because of that exact reason of like the language doesn't come close to it because it's more than words. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I was saying yesterday that idea of whenever you say something, you convey a lot more than what you can say, whether that's by like body language, tone of voice. Um, sort of implicit meanings you know like you read between the lines a lot of the time when you're listening to somebody speak mm-hmm. um, and so then imagine that a step removed where there's no language at all and that's sort of the space you're in it's just like sheer emotion of what your body's feeling 
or or what's yeah what your body's feeling plus what your your brain is feeling but you sometimes you won't even have to like communicate that way in the with language it's like it's just uh how would you convey that with just your body and actions because you can spend so much time and thinking like well okay what do i need to say it's like well what, what do i need to do to express that emotion that you're feeling yeah uh, so what got you into um psychedelics you said that you did a your first solo trip what was like the, the introduction for you into this uh, area of life that's illegal <laughs> it's uh, i come from a family that is staunchly anti-drug um okay. you know like that comes from uh i have an uncle who now, every time I've, I've heard this story from my family, it slightly changes. So I'm not 100% sure, but um, he basically went over to Germany during the 90s. You know, the techno scene, really into his drugs. He was earning quite a bit of money at the time. Um, he had an experience where he did so much cocaine, his stomach popped. Oh, well. And he was in hospital for like two and a half months. Uh, he then came back home. Then he went back over to Germany. Um, got right back into the same shit again. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day came home, turned up unannounced at his family home. He'd just had a coat with him, no shit, loads of money in his pockets. Tried kicking in the door and tried to attack his girlfriend. Um and from that point on, diagnosed with schizophrenia. You know, went through periods of, I think, using heroin as well. So basically, that has instilled so much fear into the mind of my, say, my mum and dad that it's just like, right, everything that isn't approved by the government as a drug, evil, and you never, never want to touch it, and you're going to go mental if you do touch it. And so I had that in my mind growing up. Um, and then... I think I was 16. It was the Champions League final, Dortmund versus Bayern Munich. So it a while ago now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I hit a bong for the first time yeah. at a friend's house. And I remember just sort of like monging out on a couch watching the same episode of the Cleveland show like four times on repeat. <laughs> I was like, well, I thought this was like the demon's drug. Like it was supposed to be sending me loopy or shit. And I was just having a great time. Um, so that was like the first sort of substance that I touched other than alcohol. Um, and I didn't really do anything until I went to uni and one of my flatmates, he'd like done all of his experimenting with drugs, college years, you know, and not in a safe way either, you know, like done a lot too much. Um, but his older brother had done psychedelics with him. And so... It was like second year of uni. I did my first mushrooms trip with this guy. And so through going through uni, I had this person that could almost act as like a sage, as like a guide of like, right, you're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable in your body and that's okay, that's normal. Just do a bit of stretching, you know, we'll do a little dose to ease you in. So it was like I had somebody who could really sort of guide me along. And mm-hmm. so really using these like powerful drugs although obviously weed can be powerful alcohol can be powerful but you know like mushrooms um 
an acid, I would say they're another step up. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, but even like MDMA, just doing them all in a, in a safe way and like having, you know, there's a really good website called Arrowhead online, which sort of describes drug trips, dosages, potential side effects, ways of identifying that the drug that you have is a safe version of it. Um, and so it wasn't like I'd just go into it and be like, oh, try, I want to try MDMA. Let's buy two grams and I'm going to snort a gram of it. And, you yeah. know, I'd never had that. And so really I've not had what I would describe as a negative experience with a hard drug. Um, okay. I think I definitely used weed as a crutch for like three, four years, you know, to avoid mm-hmm. anything. Um, yeah. So I've not got it all right. I've got a lot of it wrong. Um, but with the heavier shit, I don't tend to... I don't think I've ever really abused them because I had this guy who sort of said, right, this is correct dosage and you don't want to rush too much. Just ease yourself in. Um, and then as I got into tripping, like reading some books, Terence McKenna, um, mm. there's a biology book that I read, which talks about how the biology of a trip works. Um, you know, getting into psychology and philosophy i think that sort of like helps ground you when you're having a trip because a lot of the time if you're thrown into this into that sort of space and you're really not prepared you know you can get lost and you don't come back um so it is dangerous mm-hmm. but it's only as dangerous as going drinking three times a week and over the years becoming addicted to a substance and probably becoming so closed off and so closed minded that you can't see anybody's point of view, you know, they've all got dangers associated with them. Um, but you know, do the due diligence. You can do, you can do them safely and they can be really positive and beneficial for you. Yeah. I think it's the same with drinking. It, it, that's got positive benefits to that. Oh uh, yeah. You can, you know, it's like a social lubricant, isn't it? You can, you can give, give someone a drink and they won't shut up for, <laughs> and they normally don't say a word. And it's like, where's this person come from? But yeah, it's the same with LSD or magic mushrooms. It's like you can have this whole different experience of life, and it can be positive. But I don't, I've heard stories of people who've probably done them trips and then increased further usage and then ended up in a psych ward because of going too far with LSD and magic mushrooms. Um, I did have a question, but it's, it's gone from my mind. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. So you you said you had a uncle who, who had a, a schizophrenic episode and well, probably that was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And then that was taught to you as you'd grown up so when you started using these drugs mm-hmm. did that ever creep in as a fear oh like, well, yeah well, uh, like you know i've had um and this is where i think you know i did in some ways abuse weeds like to my own detriment because weed brings with it paranoia and a certain dosage of paranoia is really useful because what it does is it makes you look at yourself and question yourself 
But if you get in that state of mind where you're constantly questioning everything, then you can start questioning shit like, oh, is that voice in my head me or is it somebody else? Yeah. You know? And so I've had touch and go moments where that fear has tried to manifest. But um, I think what really helped me was, and this is what I mean with the reading, I started researching into sort of schizophrenia and stuff. And the understanding behind schizophrenia and what it actually is and where it comes from, it's really sort of, um, it's not certain. Mm -hmm. So that helped change my attitude a bit more and stop being so afraid. You know, if it happens, it's going to fucking happen. But I think if I'm going into it with that fear playing on my mind all the time, it's more likely to happen. Yeah. Um, And since I've sort of changed that state of mind, it doesn't ever really pop up, you know, so... It did, it did linger there for a while, but like you said, I think that was just working through that old attitude in my mind that you touch any sort of psychotropic drug, you're going to be like your uncle. Yeah. But from the sounds of things, as I've got to understand it more, he dove like head first into the pond of drugs with no understanding of how to do them safely. Yeah. Um, and so it's no surprise that he he sort of uh, lost his shit a little bit. Um, and also, you know, although I want to have the attitude that, you know, there's no such thing as a bad drug. It's just a drug that's used in the wrong situation. I really think the cocaine, you know, as, as far as they go, really isn't great. Um, just sort of enhances the ego. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know, encourages anger and hatred and, um, yeah, aggression, all that sort of stuff. I'd say as far as things go, probably not a good, good choice of drug to be, to be using. Um, have have you had any experience with that? A couple of times. Um, it really didn't do much for me. Like the feeling that you got on it just sort of I didn't enjoy that sort of sensation um, because of all of those reasons I, I get the draw of it you know it makes you feel big makes you feel powerful makes you feel like you're right about everything and that you're the center of the world um, but it didn't didn't gel with me and I think it's probably because I did mushrooms before I did any of that yeah probably <laughs> I've always say yeah it felt Felt like a step back, if anything. <laughs> yeah, because when you have uh, psychedelics, it's, it is genuinely what you imagine um, drugs to be like. What you get taught drugs are going to be like in like primary school is like you're going to be see, oh, it's going to be all wacky and stuff. You do like cocaine, it's not like that. You do LSD and mushrooms, things move more frequently with LSD. You might actually see things. What yeah. uh, cocaine doesn't do that. And I, I had this, I'd say a similar experience. I thought once, I'd, well, after I'd done magic mushrooms, um, at one point, I'd already stopped doing cocaine, but it was kind of like the first really powerful magic mushrooms trip I had. I was like, why the fuck would I want to do that? Or even even with, with drinking, so to say, it's like, well, when you can have this experience that grows in naturally in the world, 
why would I then want to have alcohol? Is that even if you compare it on the uh, effect, if so if you compare it on the effect of the drug, then the more interesting trip you're going to have, five pints or a bag of magic mushrooms is going to be the magic mushrooms. So you compare it on that level, but it also showed me that I don't actually like alcohol and I, I'm only drinking because it, it felt like it was a way to fit in of what well, other people were doing. There's a really interesting book by Terence McKenna. It's called Food and Other Drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he basically is looking through the history of drug use in cultures and societies. And like ancient cultures, Celtic cultures and like tribal cultures, their drug of choice tends to be a psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they see that as the most beneficial drug. Now, we are a mead cult. You know, we worship alcohol. That's our drug of choice. Um, and so that sort of feeling like you have to fit in, that's because that's the drug that everybody does in our culture. You know, mm-hmm. you, you tell most people that alcohol is a drug, they go, that's no, not. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, no, it is. It is. And it's a powerful one as well. Yeah. Um, but because it's so ingrained into our culture and into the the sort of mindset that you you absorb by being part of this culture, it really feels like you don't have a choice. It's just yeah. what, it's just what you do, you know. Um, no, I don't. Uh, you've obviously gone teetotal. With mm-hmm. is it just where you're drinking, or is it with? Um, so I did a year and eight months of no drinking. Um, but when I started doing that, it was initially I'm not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. I was messing around with weed, a little bit of smoke, a bit of weed with when I go out with James or yourself or Matty. Yeah. And it was just like uh, every so often. And then I felt like when I'd done mushrooms again with you, it'd always be popping up in the back of my mind that I was half arsing that my way that I wanted to live. It was like, oh, well, you know, it's not as bad. I'm smoking weed, but it's not as bad as when I'm drinking. Or, yeah. like, I asked my the reasoning I was doing in my head. And then at the start of this year, I was smoking, weed a, bit, smoking a bit of weed over Christmas. Start of this year, then I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do a year completely teetotal. And then I'd started drinking again in May because I had, I had a, a thought in my head where I was like, maybe I can start drinking again. I was like, maybe I've just put this big fucking thing on it and it's like it's a huge ordeal when you're not the same person anymore yeah and so i was like i'm not the same person anymore and i found out that i could i, I yeah i could live and have drinks and go to pubs but what i'd found out now is that i didn't enjoy it mm-hmm. anymore it was just like it was it was okay as like a um, drinking and i'd have a bit more confidence but I think because I spent that long from not drinking, it just lost its like, oh, yeah, yeah, we all get drunk. And it's like the requirement of going to a pub on a Friday or on a Saturday. It's just I'd replaced that with other things. So because I'd replaced it, it didn't become so so much of a big deal. So I started drinking again and all the shit from people I was getting over the past since I first stopped drinking, it was like, oh, you missed it. Like, it felt like you were missing out on this amazing thing. And that like slipped back in to my mind. So it was going, maybe, you know what, maybe I am. And then once I started drinking again, it was like, 
I'd be, I felt more depressed. Okay. So like the the negative emotion increased. It, it wasn't like I was completely in in a rut. Uh-huh. It's just okay. I, I don't like how I feel, so I'm gonna stop doing this again. But Christina um, stopped drinking first, and we were in uh, a bar in Vienna, and I was drinking. We met this guy in a, a hostel. I can't remember his name. I think it was Carlos. It wasn't Carlos, but Definitely wasn't. <laughs> it was some, it was some fucking guy, and I'm just, I'm just jumping. Francis. Francis, okay. Um, and he was like, we were drinking with him, and then he just spoke with his girlfriend, and we were in this shit club, and it looked like everyone was just about eighteen, and I, Christina just had this look on her face that I used to have when I'd go out and other people weren't drinking, and I just bought a double vodka coke maybe or what someone drink and then I just give it to Francis I was like oh I'm gonna go back to the hostel and that was the last time I drank and then this year is the first this is the time I'm going okay I'm not doing it absolutely I'm not doing anything I'm just gonna just have complete teetotal so it's from it's from August until next August okay. but I think I'm probably gonna just continue it um like the first, the first time I stopped drinking, it was like three months in. I was like, oh my fucking God. I was like, I need to, because I was struggling to find stuff to do to replace that. Like going to the pub Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was like, well, what do I need to do? And then I got, really got back into my music. So that, that was found time. But it just felt that I had all this, newfound time that I didn't have before from drinking and I could do wow I could do this now I can get back into this hobby and I can invest time into this um so so yeah so that now that it's completely teetotal yeah just because um obviously it's different things for different people so like the sort of approach that I have and it's yet to be seen because I'm living back with my parents at the moment so you know, it. I'll see what it's like when I live on me like by myself again. Um, sort of. I see that like some like weeds has done a lot of good for me, done a lot of bad for me as well. And um, same with alcohol. Although I've never really been a heavy drinker, what I do is I just I binge. If I go out on a night out, I'll have like twenty drinks or something. Um, but I feel like um at least for myself personally to cut to cut it out fully um we were talking yesterday about like the absolutism of like has to be yes or no like Mm. i want to try and live the balance and so if i can say like since i've lived at home again like i'll occasionally smoke weed maybe Mm. once every three weeks four weeks or whatever um and that right now feels like a great balance for me. Like every time I smoke, it's a really positive experience and I have some really cool deep insights on myself or on some things I've been thinking about and generally have a pleasant time, you know, but then I'm not sort of waking up every day stoned over yeah. <laughs> wanting to smoke again and feeling all groggy and shit. Um, and so it's like, that is the sort of relationship I want to have 
even with, say, like drinking, with coffee, with uh, sugary foods, all that sort of thing. I wouldn't want to um, fully, fully abstain, but I think it's part of because, you know, like when you do a, say, like a mushrooms trip, mm-hmm. it comes in waves, doesn't it? And you have to, you have to really sort of ride that wave. Yeah. So for me, it's quite a good um, analogy for life. You know, shit comes in waves in life. We live in a wave-made universe, and everything's flux, everything's fluctuating. Um, and so I think it, it teaches you somewhat to ride the waves, to be able to ride the waves, as long as you don't become addicted to the substance and start misusing it. It yeah. can be positive in that sense. So. Um, that's sort of the reason why I wouldn't want to cut things out totally. Although I, I totally understand why people would, because like I said, when I move out of home again, this might all go, go down the pan. It did last. How, how do you mean by that? Is it, you're going to increase your usage? or? So exactly. So I moved out of home for the second time last year, moved up in Glasgow for a year, didn't I? And um, yeah, two months in, it went from, Oh, right, just have a spliff on a Saturday and a Sunday to, oh, right now I'm missing uni lectures because I've got up and got stoned straight away and I'm playing on FIFA for six hours. So whether <laughs> I actually have the ability to live up to the way that I want to live, it's yet to be tested because right now a lot of it is sort of restricted by the environment that I'm living in. Yes. Which is a positive thing in some senses, but also it means... How much of it am I actually doing? You know, how much of it is just that I'm in my parents' house again? There's different rules here. Um, yeah, you can't just sit on the cup. You can't sit where you are now, smoking a big fat jink. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's that's restricting you a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Another reason is like I think reading somebody like Terence McKenna, he's got that phrase of. Uh, he was quite a funny dude, so it's not super serious, but um, he said something along the lines of, like, um, it's ridiculous that people can get arrested for holding drugs because we are just a big bag of drugs walking around. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you're constantly having serotonin levels changing and dopamine levels changing. You know, people can have sort of psychedelic experiences with no drugs being ingested. It's just called a religious experience. You know, they're very, very similar. They're very much the same. Um, and so it's like, I don't, at least personally, I don't believe that like cutting yourself off fully from that option um, is necessarily. Um, so I'm trying to think. So I was going to say the best way, but again, that doesn't really make any sense because it's whatever works for you personally. Um, it's just for me. I don't know if it's the best way. To go yeah. things. I think I've found out that the best way for me to just like I'd say my approach to life is just have that teetotal mm-hmm. aspect. I do plan on doing maybe doing DMT once I've finished this uh year challenge, but I'm not sure if I'm just gonna get there and go, actually, you know what, like what's the point? Yeah. Because yeah. it, it was quite irritating to stop drinking and then it felt like I was back on, oh, I, I've done, I've been sober for three months. Oh, I've done this. But now it's, I'm not even, 
keeping count of it because I gave a bit, I built this big thing in my head where it was like, okay, I'll get to three months. Then I got to a year. And then once I got past a year, it became like, oh, well, I'm just not going to bother anymore. Like, it didn't become as like, a, oh, yes, I've done a year. Well, it wasn't a meaningful to you after that, yeah. Yeah, and like now it's it's lost. It's like, oh, I don't know. You kind of got it. In England, I got a lot of praise. Like, oh, well, yeah, he's done like so long off alcohol. It was praise also a mix of um, getting shit from people for not drinking. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so you, you, were, you were praised for it, whereas now it's like, I'm not really that, that asked about the, yeah, well, oh, well done, or giving myself that self-praise. It's, it's more of a, a lifestyle choice, which allows me to deal with whatever comes in the, the flow of life the best way. Because if I'm in a state of mind that's uh, teetotal, then I just feel like I can manage more things that are going on in my life. Well, yeah, that that's like the, the draw of it, isn't it? Like you're really sort of looking at reality in the face if you're sober. But then I guess that's the sort of point that Terence McKenna makes is that you're never really sober. Yeah. <laughs> it's because yeah. your serotonin levels are constantly fluctuating. You get natural highs from doing, well, you know that open mic night that you played the first time that you'll have done that? You'll have been buzzing afterwards. Yeah. And it's because you're high. <laughs> yeah. Well, People who don't do drugs would describe that as being high on life, you know, and that's what you are. Um, and so it's like, I don't know if you can ever really be teetotal because the state of consciousness that you're in is constantly shifting. Yeah. So even when you are teetotal, you know, you're still, your mind state is changing. Um, but again, this could be me sort of justifying the fact that I like the feeling of getting high, you know, yeah. and, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with, with getting high it's just if if you believe that it causes you problems and i i just started to think that it causes me more problems than the actual what the experience is uh yeah. benefit what i'm getting for the benefit of it but it, it's not like I, I, what i did i put weed and psychedelics in its own category so i was like i always felt like oh well you know it's not that bad i was like it's not that bad but then I just started to accept that there was still there's still risks of mm-hmm. doing that, just as there is with alcohol. If you're gonna, weed's got a long term effect, and especially if you start doing it at a young age while your brain's still developing, there is a higher chance of you developing schizophrenia in the oh. future. And it's like yeah, I think you have to understand that not you, but in, just in general, like <laughs> just, just in general, it's like I had to understand it, like okay. I may enjoy this, but it still comes with consequences. And it's, I think no matter what you're doing, well, when you start looking at things like this, it's like, well, you can start making more rational decisions because you realise that your whole life has that. Oh, well, yeah, all of life is a trade-off yeah. decision. And it's like, right, you want to you wanna spend more time playing music? Well, now what can't you do? Yeah. There's a cost to everything. And like the whole whole of life is in this sort of like trade off between two things or more things, and so it is making a decision. And it's like so my my sort of idea now with psychedelics in particular is two three times a year, you know, mm-hmm. and over time that's probably going to drop. But um, 
as we grow older as humans, our brain sort of has a tendency to to close off. Um, you can see this in people, you know, all of our generation now thinks that all of the people who are in the 40s are fucking idiots because they they believe what the what they believed when they were 20. Yeah. It'll happen to most of us. You know, as we get as we get older, it's because the brain is trying to save energy, it's trying to be efficient in how much energy it, it spends. And so it's a lot more sort of energetically or metabolically efficient to go to a point of view that you already hold and to go, oh, I know this. I've been in this situation before. I'll just do what I did before. And that's cheaper in terms of like energy expenditure. And as you get older, you want to be spending less energy. And so that means you have a tendency to not try and change your mind as much. So with psychedelics, it's like that forces you into that open-minded state. Mm-hmm. That force isn't the right word, but pushes you into that open-minded state. <laughs> and so I think if if you can sort of make a ritual of that, hopefully as you get older, your mind stays open and you don't become some sort of closed-minded person who can't accept new ideas. Um, and that's sort of the plan that I have for it is it's yeah. – at this point, it really is a sort of ritualistic thing for me. Because I mean, I told you just yesterday how into sort of religions I've got and what they do, what's the function of them. Um, and today, we don't have anything that's like a ritual for ourselves. We don't really go through rituals. So you make rituals out of stuff. Humans, we need them in some sense. A lot of people do that with football. A lot of people do it. My mum's ritual is Coronation Street. <laughs> Which yeah. sounds stupid, but you know, that's what she watches as sort of like comfort and she has to watch it. Like I can't miss a Cory. I have to be there, I have to watch it. Um unfortunately I think with that sort of thing, it does encourage closed mindedness because it's the same plot lines every year. Somebody gets murdered, yeah. somebody gets pregnant, somebody cheats. You know, it's the same shit. Slightly different cast. Um so I think if you create a ritual for yourself out of it, mm. it then also puts that boundary on, right? I'm not going to abuse this. Yeah. Cause I'm going to use it for my maximum benefit. I think you're also giving it structure where mm. drug use can be quite chaotic because of you can plan to like just do, uh, I say, oh, I'm just going to do this. But then if you really like it, you might start going, oh, I, I might start doing this more. <laughs> that's where it starts creeping it's like, oh, I should do this a little bit more but then it, you, if you have had an issue in the past of substance abuse then that's where it's like you, you're like a tricky bastard trying to get to back to get back to where you were previously just with a different substance yeah and well I, I get this type of uh not closed-mindedness but when I spend a long period of time being uh, sober I notice that I become very just d- 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 like to, to the point and I'm not sure if that's that uh, disadvantages me in a way sometimes because I went through a period where it was like I saved like every penny from my paycheck and it was like living this way where I, was like, I need to get paid I'm just going to go to work come home and I'm just going to save my money which has benefited me but in that time period the balance wasn't enjoyable. It was just like, 
I'm going into work. I'm just doing this. I'm saving everything that I've got. But the benefit of it is just, okay, it's in the long term, but in the current time period, how I was feeling was just like, but not, it wasn't enjoyable because you, yeah. you criticize everything you do. Oh, why, why, why? I don't want to go out with my friends and spend some money meeting up with them in a coffee shop or something or going out to Nando's. It's just like you become so, no, 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 and it took too straight. So I'm trying to think of ways I can remain open minded while doing this um, teetotal challenge. Well, I mean, the lad I was living with last year. He also did like months sober and he'd had um he'd had past troubles of like drinking too much and going out too much. I think he was doing cocaine um to the point where it was like, right, I need to stop. And it was then to the point of like, yeah, going to work forty hours a week, eating as cheaply as possible, you know, like doing the same meal six days in a run and just drinking water and tea and, you know, going to sleep dead on at a certain time, waking up and doing like exercise and sort of bit of meditation and journaling, which is all good. But it was then it became like rigid. Yeah. And that sort of rigidity then made meant that you're missing out on a lot of the actual benefit of the track things you're trying to do because you're going too far. You know, it's like that, um, saying before about trying to be balanced mm-hmm. but a lot of times humans really overcorrect when you try to make a, a, a change you go um now i've done this in the past like i'll say to myself all right no more junk food now no more ever ever <laughs> again. no more in the whole of the rest of the time that i'm alive no more yeah. it's like, how the fuck are you supposed to live up to that <laughs> you just yeah. can't and it's like it's being too hard on yourself like Obviously, you want to do good and you want to have a good life. But I think that part of having a good life, at least part of it has to be having fun. You know, yeah. you have to really enjoy, enjoy it whilst you're on there because of the fact that you're going to die. You know, that nobody knows when death is coming. It could be tomorrow. We could both have a joint aneurysm tomorrow and die. <laughs> you know, who fucking knows? So it's like, to a certain degree... You wanna you wanna be ordered so then you're not wasting your life. But I think to try and get rid of all chaos is an overcorrection. It's too much order. Yeah. Um, so but again, it's really hard because chaos invites more chaos. And so you let a little bit in. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> I'll, I'll do that again. And then the next time you do it, it's twice as twice as much chaos. And then it's four times as much chaos. And so on. So it is it's tough. But I think that's the whole journey of life is constantly tweaking the tweaking the settings to try and find that balance. Yeah, until you get it right, whatever whatever that means, but to get what you believe is the right thing to be doing. I think it, it's it's engagement. Like I find that I'm not focused on depressive thoughts or something that might have happened or what people might think of me or what what I'm not thinking about this thing these this shit when I'm just genuinely engaged with something and when I'm when I'm engaged with that it's like time will pass by quickly and it doesn't feel like a waste 
But I can I find that when say for example I've got so I've only had Logic now for three weeks and just playing around editing recording, I've it's felt like it's opened another part of music for me that I didn't particularly know existed or I've been trying to like find a way find the way in through going to um, recording studios or going to open mics and helping to set up or jam sessions. And it's like, now I've found something I'm engaged in. I'm not bothered if I'm spending 30 minutes on it or an hour. It's just like, it just comes to me, oh, I should do this. And you just find it fun rather than, I need to do an hour a day doing this, 30 minutes doing this, 20 minutes doing that. It's like, yeah. I don't think we can live like that. So so has then sort of having this new creative output, um, has that helped you be a little less rigid this time round on the in the sobriety? Because I know obviously you were saying the first time round it it was quite rigid and sort of like no means no forever. <laughs> um, I think that so I've got the benefit this time of being in somewhere that's more interesting than Poland. As much as much as I, I'd get that totally. As much as I love my friends and family, it's I have realised being in a being in a city in somewhere different. There's certain aspects I miss, like just going to Alex's house for a brew. That's what I've said to him. It's just like that's what I miss. Like you just did the ease of doing that. But this has been like a little adventure where I've been able to address things that I wanted to do for a long time. So music. I did the first, my first open mic here, um, and then because I've been engaging with different things, because there's so many opportunities to do these things here, it's like I'm dealing dealing with it quicker than I would have been at home yeah. because it's just the opportunities are there. You've you've dove in at the deep end. Yeah, you're gonna have to learn how to swim, so you've got no choice now. Whereas when you sat at home in Poland, it's like Oh, I want to start learning how to do logic. Uh, I'll do it next week. Yeah, I can't be asked now. I'll do it next week, and it next week goes on forever and yeah. ever. Yeah. Uh, I think it was yeah. two years ago. It would have been like around about two years ago when I was writing in uh, like journal or diary, whatever you want to call it, um, that I wanted to do an open mic in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I was like, I'm gonna drive there. I don't have, you know, can't excuses. Yeah, I gotta drive there because I don't have a bag for my guitar. I'm not gonna sing it. Yeah, I'll just leave it. Whereas there's also a benefit of going well. Most of the people here, because there's just influx and outflux of people coming to cities, most of the time people can just disappear. So it's like, yeah, they're probably you're not gonna see most of the people again who come to these open mics. So that that helps you. Um, but yeah, the, I think it's just a, it, the change of circumstances and the change of location means that I, I'm finding it much easier. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not in the same routine as I was, whereas I was trying to prove to myself the first time I stopped drinking that I could go out. I was like, oh, no, I, I can still go to Wigan without drinking. I can I can go out till <laughs> 6 a.m. And I was going... Like fucking torture to me, honestly. Yeah. Well, it, it was. It was awful. And like people are saying to you, oh, "Is it not shit?" It's like, of course it's shit. I'm like, I just, I'm just trying to do it so we, I can. We like, get shit when you're so drunk that you can't see. So it's <laughs> gonna be shit when you're sober. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I I do that to like prove to myself. So I go out to like six six in the morning, and then just go on like, well, what am I doing that? Then, then I beat myself up about that because I'm like, well, why did I go? Why did I do that till six in the morning? Um, instead of doing things that I love like music or whatever. So now, yeah, I think that I can I can just go straight in at the deep end here, which is great, and there's not. There's, there's not as the comfort of being at home. You still you still find your comfort zone here. Like I still have the comfort zone of being in the apartment and kind of like staying here. So that's another big difference is you're in a nice relationship as well. So that's some support both emotionally and like you said, you've got a bit of you can come back and nest. You've got a nice little home base where you, yeah. know you can come home and there's somebody that you enjoy spending time with. I imagine you're both sort of aiming to grow and nourish, nourish each other. So that helps as well. Um, and it's also good to have somebody who's sober as well. Like when I thought, yeah. a lot of people were saying to me from stopping drinking, it's like, oh, you know, how are you going to go on a date with a girl and all this stuff? You know, it's like, I'm going to go on a date with a girl and they want a glass of wine. And I was like, well, there's other things you can be doing. And I think that I've benefited from when I met Christina, it was like, I wasn't drinking at that time. Although when we when we came here, we'd go out drinking. It was like inevitably we I ended up back to what I was like previously. So yeah, that, that's a benefit as well because you can actually I'd, when I'd be by myself as as much as I benefited from like going traveling or doing what I wanted to do. It there was always like well, you didn't have a deeper connection with someone from the the a different sex and be just i guess just yeah just being able to share the shit that is going on in your head and someone goes what are you on about <laughs> just like, yeah. like yeah what am i fucking talking about and it's like it's just it's it's like uh it's the benefit of being in a, an honest relationship isn't it it's probably similar to therapy because well, it i was just gonna say that was the first like the first session that i had was very much a sort of almost like a confessional like in Catholic Church, you know, I just went and sort of got it all off my chest. And then at various points throughout, she was just like, yeah, either I get it or you might not actually be right there. And that sort of, just that, having somebody to dump your shit on, which, you know, isn't the most enjoyable when you're the one that's receiving the shit. Yeah. It's so helpful to have somebody that can just sort of sit there and, like actively listen. That's a really big difference as well. I found it was one of the things that really sort of bummed me out and has done for a lot of years is you can talk to a lot of people and despite them like maybe giving the right cues, nodding and "Uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, a lot of it is waiting for their turn to speak. You know, there's a difference between passively listening and actively listening. You know, like even through a computer screen here, making eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> and sort of like waiting, but absorbing and thinking, not, right, what's the next thing I'm going to say? But really sort of going, ah, so that's what he's just said. So I get that now. And sort of really engaging. Again, you were saying engaging with life. It's the same thing with conversation. You engage in a proper conversation and it's so much more beneficial than just like, waiting for your turn to either say something funny or to say something sarcastic or to just 
say what you wanted to say at the beginning of the conversation because you're just waiting for that person to fucking shut up. Yeah. So you can talk. It's your turn now. Um, yeah, but wait, if you actually listen to somebody, you probably what you want to say is going to change, and you probably might not even bring that up. They go, oh well, okay, I'm gonna. He's saying this, and then they might address the question in your head that you've already got. So you just if you actually just continue listening rather than like jump in and just interrupt, then it's actually better for the conversation. Oh yeah, it's com- complete ad lib when you're having a proper conversation. It's like a lot of the times when I was me and my flatmate from last year, we'd sit there and have conversation for hours and the place that you'd end would be nowhere near the place that you'd be going. Because the way a proper conversation should work is sort of like you're going down one path and then you bump into an, an idea and you go, ah, fuck, yeah, that was there. And let's go to the left now. And now we're talking about something completely different and jumps all over the place. Um, and it's a bit more chaotic than just sort of, I don't know. Oh, how, how was your day today? Yes, it was okay, you know. How was your day? It's not a proper conversation. That's just like some bullshit that, yeah. you know, most people always makes me laugh. That I don't know if it's a British thing or if it's worldwide, but, you know, you're going to work and somebody goes, oh, how's your, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm all right. How are you? They really want to know. That's what they want. You just want, yeah, how are you doing? Yeah. Because if I was to sit there and go, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not so good, actually. And, you know, and it's just, Oh, fucking hell. I just wanted to make a noise at that person, you know. Um, yeah, it always makes me laugh that small talk. It just doesn't doesn't seem to do it do it for me. Um, but yeah, well, this is the problem of having a conversation now. I've forgotten where we're at, where we are. From so with you, you've got a different job now at a school, but you're also teaching music. Aren't you? So what what have you found from when you originally started music, you being taught yourself? What have you found benefits you from being a teacher and like teaching kids or whoever it is that you might be teaching? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's uh, fascinating to see it from the other side of the um, what's the phrase? Other side of the fence or whatever. From the other side, let's just leave it on. For me, and then they said spectrum. Then <laughs> <laughs> word that fits the fence doesn't feel right, but yeah, um, shoe on the other foot or something like that. Yeah, Whatever. you get the point of like um, being a kid and sort of. Uh, so I started learning piano when I was seven, and now teaching like eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds. It's amazing to see that sort of interaction that they're having with all of these ideas that I sort of take for granted. Um, even like getting somebody counting in the head for the first time, feeling the rhythm of something, singing a melody, and the buzzing when they get it, and they're so chuffed. It's also really nice just to see like, you know, I think, pardon me, um, with anything where you it's like a skill that you're working on. You can have a tendency to go, oh, I'm not good enough. I want to be better. And yeah. I'm not as good as I want to be. Um, but when you're teaching, the first time that I did a lesson, it was like, fuck, look at how far I've come. 
Like, yeah, I might not be as good as I want to be. But look at where I started. And that's where these people are starting. And imagine where they'll be if they stick at it for like 10, 12 years or whatever. Um, there's like this one lad that I teach. And it's like he was made to be a musician. You know, got a supernatural, really good ear. Picks things up by ear and he can just play them on the piano. Uh, you describe a concept to him and he's like, oh, fuck, yeah. Well, without the without the swearing. Uh, he's on 12 foot. He goes, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's sick. Um, like, even I just gave him, like, a really basic um, chord progression and started saying, right, it's all good learning these classical pieces and that, but I'll give you this chord progression. Start just messing around on the piano and just improvise. And the next week he came and he was buzzing. He was like, oh, yeah, I've been doing this. And so then we did a little duet on the piano. You could see he was really getting into it. Um, yeah. Just brings you a lot of joy, I think, being a teacher. Helps you learn a lot of things about yourself as well. Um, so, yeah, re really enjoying it. So what, what's the, I won't say the end goal with music, because that's a difficult uh, thing to, to set out, but what's the the next things for you? Because you you did a gig at Southport, didn't you? Uh-huh. Um, I mean... Because I've I've obviously been playing piano for a long long time, like uh, fuck, eighteen years now. Um, but the first like ten years of that was classical trained, um, and it really felt like a chore to me. I didn't really see any of the beauty or like why it was so good. Then I had a couple of years, first two years of uni where I basically didn't play. Then I started getting back into it. And so like the past couple of years, I've been teaching myself jazz. Um, now the problem is, I've only ever played solo jazz piano by myself. Yeah. I don't really have a clue of where I'm up to right now. Um, so my next thing, rather than an end goal, it's sort of like, right, what's the next step? Yeah. Um, the next step is hopefully start playing a bit more find some people to play with yeah it, it's a conversation it's supposed to be a conversation anyway and i don't know how good my conversational skills are on the piano right now because i've only been talking to myself um <laughs> so yeah i don't really know but what i do know is like you with the logic it's sort of now when i've got nothing to do or even when i do have things to do I'll sit down and I'll just play for an hour or two and it just flies by and yeah. brings me a lot of joy. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to make my practice a thing every day, trying to get better, find my weak points. Um, but, yeah, it's just about playing and finding some people to play with as well. Yeah, it's a difficult thing to find people to play with in a Poland. Like, I think I've got friends who did play uh, but to have frequent jam sessions with or whatever just playing around with I think last time it was, you came around to mine and we were on the keyboard but other than that there wasn't many musicians I've met in uh, in the area whereas yeah. again this is the the benefit I found from being in like a, a capital city there's organized events almost every day where you can go and play uh -huh. so, and then even if you don't want to go to them events you might meet somebody there that you'll say, oh, should we go organise 
some time in a rehearsal room or I've got a, an apartment we can go jam there. So it's like there's opportunities everywhere. Yeah, so that's 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 what I've found from being here is that the big the biggest benefit for me is that ability to go oh oh he can play let's go meet up with him or it's just other things open up to you because you go to these events that are organised. Yeah, so, well, I guess that'd be that's my next thing is I need to move because you yeah. know particularly with something like uh, jazz. I mean, I was I've worked part time in a coffee shop as well. I was working in the kitchen, so I had my music on. A jazz track came on in the shuffle because I try and tailor it to more enjoyable for other people. The manager came in and was like, what the fuck's this? It's <laughs> this racket. <laughs> yeah, fair news. Um, but I don't know if it's... It's not exactly a place where there's a lot of people who are into it. So to move to a city, whether that's in England, but hopefully out of the country, yeah, so that would be nice. Um so I'm not, not settled on where, but I think being in a city is sort of a must. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to try to get to, we were talking yesterday that you could try to get to Prague for, uh, even just for a visit and see what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Get that organised for maybe early next year. Um, but what's what's the plan? So you're in, you're still in that uni course with in uh, in Glasgow, yeah. Um, so I got like halfway through it enjoyed the first couple of modules i was sort of enjoying it but because it was all over zoom and i was stuck in my tiny little box room in a flat um didn't meet any of the people off the course in a lot of ways i think i was just a bit out of my depth because i went sort of into a subject that i had no understanding of mm-hmm. uh, so in a lot of ways i was sort of banking on interacting with my course mates to be able to have conversations about things to get a better understanding of it yeah. uh, and then coupled that with i then went into counseling in the february for a while after that i was extremely emotionally raw and sort of a bit all over the place um and so my interest just dropped right off i ended up just not doing two assignments for two modules came to doing the final project and they just said, yeah, you can't do your final project without submitting something for the other two modules. And I only had like six weeks left to do it. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to defer. Um, so doing those two modules in the final project this year. Okay. And, you know, I've got a bit more motivation to do it. I've got an idea which links all of the three, three things I've got to do. So um, yeah, get that out of the way. And then we'll see about fucking off somewhere, hopefully. Yeah. Do it, man. Um, so when you went to Scotland, it was fucking bad timing, wasn't it, though? Yes. It was, was it last August? Because I remember I was buzzing because you, you were telling me, I was like, oh, this guy's, you've gone from mechanical engineering and then you were just like, running away to Scotland with LSD <laughs> a musical pilgrimage that was what it was supposed to be um, but yeah obviously I was sort of banking on the the pandemic not being as bad and hopefully things would open up again and I sort of was hopeful that restrictions would ease relatively quickly after a vaccine was rolled out and uh, 
then obviously we went back in and out of lockdowns for another nine months. Um, and then even when we were out of lockdowns and so I'd say I could go climbing, um, I think pubs only opened the last week I was in Scotland. Um, but even when sort of we were allowed to meet in person, the university decided not to, um, to keep things virtual. So, yeah, wasn't the best, wasn't the best timing, but, you know, in a lot of ways, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't have gone to get counselling if I hadn't have had that year, if I hadn't have had that time spent in a room so much by myself, where I was like, really confronted as much as I tried to hide away from it by, you know, falling back into smoking weed every day and playing video games. I just couldn't escape it. So, you know, I'm not to see the positive things in it. I think it'll still be beneficial to me in the long run. Um, didn't pan out exactly like I wanted to, but so far life hasn't. So <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't see why that's going to change anytime soon, you know. Um, Both be fucking rock stars touring the world in a band, probably, <laughs> if life had panned out the way I wanted it to. That, that, <laughs> yeah, and I have slightly more money by now um, and I wouldn't have to be working a minimum wage job but you know <laughs> you have to you gotta do gotta do what you gotta do and uh, yeah so it's still positive bumped into some really interesting ideas it's changed the way that I looked at sound and listening um, and even though it wasn't uh, to do with the course. It was another year where I had a lot of time off. I didn't work. Um, so it meant that I had a lot of time to read. So I did a lot of interesting reading last year. Um, so yeah, uh, got plenty to be grateful for from that year, despite it not being amazing. How do you find now going from not having a... Did you have a job when you were in uh, Union Liverpool? or Not the first year, the second and third years, yeah. Yeah. So how did you find that time from where you just didn't have to work? for? Uh, good in some respects, bad in a lot of others. Um, you know, too much time on my hands with a lot of it. Um like, yeah, I wouldn't be busy enough, so I wouldn't schedule. I wouldn't go, oh, I have to do this now. I'd always put it off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've only ever worked in, like, retail customer service. So it's not exactly like I've ever worked a job that I enjoy. Um, mm. So the positives and negatives to having a job and to not having a job, you know, uh a lot more in routine when I have a job as well. But like right now, the coffee shop I'm working in, shifts change every single week. So there's still plenty of chaos. Still yeah. plenty of time for me to go, oh, fuck it, I'll do it tomorrow. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to see what things are like again when I move out of home. I'm seeing this as another sort of year where I'm in stasis almost, like <laughs> not in real life yet. Um, so, I, yeah. I'll have to see. All right. Uh, well, I'd say we've covered mostly 
uh, a lot of stuff in this podcast, so I appreciate you. I appreciated a remarkable amount of shit. No, it's not been shit, though. <laughs> so, but I'm just thinking, like, it started off very light, like the lighting, and then now it's slowly gone darker. It's like <laughs> it's like a suiting way to end the podcast as you you fade into the shadow. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, really good chat again. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I'll see you. When is it? Third of December. I uh, know. Uh, I'm back. Seventeenth of December. Oh, seventeenth of December. Seventeenth of December because I've got uh, do the Christmas things for kids. In the kindergarten, um, and then my flight. I was actually flying home Christmas Eve, but I'd get home at like half eleven at night, and it was just like basically, Christmas. yeah, basically Christmas Day, and I couldn't be bothered fucking around with trains and stuff. So I'll be back a bit earlier. Then when train till third of January. Oh shit! Yes, right. That's why I thought third. Then so I mixed it around. I thought you were here third to the seventeenth. Okay, cool. Uh, Yeah, so see you then. See you then. Good.